In the same way, we no longer belong to fear and hatred. We have been redeemed. And I think we understand what that means on one level and what we've received, but we're not always clear and sure what that means as far as our ministry and what the next step is for us. It's all wrapped up in this concept that we've been talking about for the last several weeks that we find in this little letter tucked away in the middle of the New Testament called Philemon. We're going to wrap that up today, and we thought it was really appropriate to use that clip from uh, Les Miserables. Uh, That's been one of my favorite stories. It's a novel by Victor Hugo. Uh, I've read it years and years ago. I've seen the musical several times. I've uh, seen the movie. There's another movie coming out, I think in November, uh, around this same story. It's just beautiful. It's tragic, and it's huge all at once. And I think that scene is one of my favorites because it really is such a metaphor of what God has done in, in our lives. Paul believes that Philemon will follow in regards to this, uh, this runaway slave on, Onesimus. Paul's been mediating this rift. It's really more than a rift. It's, it's a big separation between these two believers. Paul places huge premium on face-to-face reconciliation. And I know I've been nudging you the last couple of weeks. You ought to do that. And that's what this series is about, to reconcile. Onesimus had wronged Philemon in his own house. He had stolen from him. He ran away. Uh, he, he, He just mistreated him. And now he is willing to return, to come back, to make amends, whatever the cost to himself. He's stepping up. He's doing the right thing. And Paul is confident that in the same way that this bishop treated Jean Valjean, uh, that Philemon will care about this slave's spiritual needs. Father, I pray that today that you would speak your truth and your love and your grace into our hearts. There are times that we feel like the loser when we forgive, when we release someone of the debts that they owe us. It feels like we're losing. I pray that you would erase that. I know folks who have been thinking the last couple of weeks about a specific relationship, some more than one, where there needs to be reconciliation. And I pray that today you would fill this place with your presence and that you would move us to take the next step, whatever that is, for your glory. I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul writes in verse 17, so if you consider me a partner, accept him as you would me. You know you love me, I led you to Christ. Uh, We've got a lot of history together. I know you'd accept me if I were to show up on your doorstep. In the same way that you would do that, I want you to accept this guy. That's huge. And I think this verse is really kind of the whole letter in in one sentence. I think this is the climax of the letter. Because you can imagine Onesimus arriving back at Philemon's door. Have you ever had to go to someone and apologize and you're not sure how that's going to play out? You don't know if they're going to forgive you. You don't know if they're still mad at you. They're going to punch you. You, you just, you, but you do it. 
And there's that humiliation, there's that fear, there's, he's just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen next. And the door swings open. And Paul says to Philemon, when that happens, when he puts that letter out as quickly as he can so that you can understand what's going on here, give him the same hospitality. Give him the same love that I would expect if it were me. In all fairness to Philemon, even the most forgiving Christians might find it difficult uh, to not be just a little angry. Just a little, it's you. I can't believe you have the nerve to show back up at my house. There's still some of that in us. Here's this runaway slave on his doorstep. And it's really cool that Paul uses this specific word, and, and this has re- just really ministered me all week. This is one little word. He said, if you consider me a partner, accept him as you would me. Your version may say, receive him as you would me. And if you ever begrudgingly forgiven someone, well, you know what, I, I forgive you. And you say the words, yeah, I forgive you. I'm off the hook. I'm done because I did. I did what I'm supposed to do. I'm a good Christian. But something else is going on inside, right? In your heart and your mind. And Paul is aware of that. He knows about these emotions. So the language that he used when he speaks here goes beyond just a welcome. He's not just checking the box and saying, okay, I did the forgiveness thing. I'm good. I've done my part. Now, what this word really means, it literally means to take one into your heart. To take one in, into to oneself. And that's got a slightly different ring to it. That's a little bigger. Welcoming someone can often be just a matter of duty. It's what we know we're supposed to do because we're followers of Jesus. Uh, it doesn't feel right. We don't like it, but we're going to do it. That's protocol. Accepting them is really a gift from our hearts. If someone gives you a painting or a piece of art for your home, and they say, well, thank you. No, this is really awesome. And uh, we actually had an artist, a friend gave uh, this to us. And what if I said, wow, that is so cool. We're going to put this back in the rehearsal room, okay, in the corner. And then we're going to put some other stuff on top of it. But no, that would, they would think, no, that's not really why we gave it to you. We gave it. But, you know, you receive something to put it on display, to put it in a prominent place. And Paul said, that's the way this forgiveness works. When you accept this guy, don't just open the door and read the letter and say, all right, you know, fine, good. Guess what? I forgive you. Are you real happy? Take your stuff and go on up. Go find your old room. I think it's still there. How does that feel? Some of you have been forgiven that way, and you know I'm not forgiven yet. You just sense that, right? You feel that. And some of us have given forgiveness that way, and you hang up the phone, or you, know, you hit send, and you think, good, okay, I'm done, I forgave. Did you? Did you? Paul is saying, hey, don't play those games. Paul is asking Philemon to restore Onesimus, not just to this position, but to fellowship, and to give him access to his very heart without any prejudice not holding anything over his head anymore. It's difficult to accept those who we don't feel like are really on the same level as us. They're not cut from the same cloth as we are. It's amazing to me how 
Easily, discrimination is woven into the very fabric of who are acceptable and who aren't. And I don't know why we do that. For some, I think you exclude people because of pride, because of fear, uh, desire to feel superior to somebody, or just because you already do. I was struck by this. Um, I don't travel a lot, but when I do, <laughs> I'm the world's most interesting pastor. When I, when I travel, um, I'm, I'm usually going to a third world country, so it's not real glamorous. Uh, and, and I ride in coach, and many of you have been on those trips with me. And have you ever sat back there, and you wonder what's going on up at the front of the plane? Yeah, you see, you, you kind of get a glimpse, and you hear the tinkling of crystal, and you wonder, what? You know, here's what's going on. I was on a return flight from, from California to Tennessee one time, and I got bumped up to first class. And I know some of you travel that way all the time. You're high rollers. God bless you. I think that is so cool. Um, it's a little weird that you let your pastor ride back there while you ride up front. But I'm just saying, that's okay. It's between you and, you know. But, um, but I got to ride up front. And so I, I, I dig in, you know, I sit down. And the first thing I notice are the seats. Have <laughs> you ever said, they're leather. They don't have any stains on them. It's wide. I thought, yeah, this is, I see, I like this. And the lady comes up and says, would you like something to drink? And I go, now? Yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah, bring me a Diet Coke, you know, and they're, and they're all drinking other things. And it's, um, <laughs> it's so glamorous, you know, it's nice, and I realize I can move my feet. I'm not a real big guy, but even I get squashed in the back. You know, when you sit there and the guy in front of you thinks, I think I'll lay this thing back. It's like a lazy boy, you know, and he, he puts that seat back, and now you're right there, and, the tra- and you know, and, and, it, and it, it, now they don't even give you meals. I mean, you've got to bring your own snacks or something, but... When they did on this flight, I could see them rolling the cart back to the poor people. And they had meals, little snacks in these little sacks. And they're pretty much just tossing them to them. Here, take your little sack, you know. And they're, they're getting whatever petty thing is in there, you know. And it's this little thing. They've got plastic cups. Isn't that pathetic? Plastic cups. Meanwhile, we're up front, and they lower the tables, and they've got crystal, and it's real glass, real silverware. They bring things out, and and we get a little menu to get to pick some of these gourmet things. Yes, I'll have this. And everything's going so great. And then the the part I love the best is when you get up in the air, and you start to go, and they go back, and they pull that curtain. You know what I'm talking about? You've been on one side or the other of that curtain, There's nothing that speaks of us and them like that curtain to me. And they always give you that little snooty look like, see ya. I'm like, bye, poor people. It's like the holy of holies, like the veil. It's like the Berlin Wall has just been put up. Oh, I can relax so much better without all those poor people staring up here into our space, you know. trying to use our bathroom. I mean, you know, it's just a whole different experience being on that. And I think that's what our culture does. And we divide each other up a lot like that kind of a flight does. Just a reminder, you need to stay in your place. I'm going to stay in my place. However that works out for you. And and in the act of exclusion, we divide the world into masters and slaves, into us and thems, into the righteous and the unrighteous. 
But Christ came and he broke down walls. He tore the veil all the way. His death pushed aside every barrier. He dismantled anything between us and God and between us and us. The hostilities came to an end. And I don't know where you are today spiritually, if you're a follower of Jesus or not, but any study of Jesus' life, even if you're just checking that out, you've got to be convinced that all the barriers that we need to overcome and how we treat people with equality will never compare with what he overcame when he descended from heaven to earth to love us. Everybody here pitches in and does things, you know, to kind of make what we do happen so that we're able to welcome guests and so that we have a comfortable place. Uh, One Saturday, I was outside and um, those of you who know me know that landscaping is kind of, not that I'm like this great horticulturist or anything, but I want it to look nice because I feel like it makes a good first impression. We've got these crepe myrtles out front, and they grow up really fast. So I'm out there, and I thought, I'm going to just trim these things back. So I trimmed them back, and then I trimmed some other stuff. And you get pretty hot doing that. I'm all hot and sweaty. And there's a wedding going on, and all the wedding party arrives very early uh, ahead of time uh, for things. And this car opens up, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything, us and them, but these, these girls get out, and, and it looks like an old ZZ Top video, okay? I mean, we've got short skirts, high heels, we got, and they, I wanted background music, you know? I wanted, da, 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 you know, here they come. And I'm out there going, hey, girls, you know, and I'm just kind of, all right, this one girl comes over to me, and I'm not making fun of girls. I'm not making fun of girls. But she she's comes over to me, you know, and she's like, hey, like, we need to get, like, inside the church. And da-da-da, can you, you know, and she's just talking like that to me. And I'm, I'm very humble. And I just pretend I don't speak English. I am sorry. I do not know what you mean. I am. And so I just, I thought, you know, and she's so disrespectful. And the other girls are standing there, and they're doing this. I mean, just the body language, the everything, like, can you get that guy to hurry it up, you know, we got to get in and everything. So I go, yeah, you know, I think I got some keys here. And, and I, so I shuffle over and I get the key and I let them in. Now later, I go home, take a shower, I come back because guess what? I'm performing the wedding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is that moment you want to live forever. I'm, I come back, I've got on my black suit. Oh, I look so good. So I come in, and these girls, these ladies, they're standing right out there, and they recognize me. And then they begin to talk to each other as I'm coming up. And you know what the conversation is. Is that that same guy? Oh, yeah, that's the gardener. Oh, he's the senior pastor. Like, that's a place of respect, right? Yeah, um, only in this room. But they, and finally, you know, we were talking, about, hey, so where are you from? And da-da-da-da, you know, we talk. And finally, one of, the, one of the ladies speaks up and says, I'm so sorry that I just, I spoke to you. I was so rude. And that, you know, I said, hey, that's okay. That's all right. But you know what that spoke to me? Is how we treat people differently according to how we have ranked them in our minds. Wherever we go, whether it's next door whether it's to Haiti, whether it's to Africa, wherever it is, 
that you find yourself in your classroom and you begin to break down the us and thems, in your job, God, God wants us to learn something today about how we love each other and how we even see each other. God took this derelict slave and he's going to become an ambassador for the kingdom. He took a shady character named Zacchaeus and he redeemed him and he became a son of Abraham. He took a terrorist named Saul who loved nothing more than to persecute and even murder Christians. And he became the most powerful voice in the world for the gospel to the Gentiles. And now we have this privileged slave owner who's about to learn something of Christian charity. And that extends to everybody, including even slaves. So for Philemon to accept Onesimus is to extend the same grace that he had received. He's got to give it out. And it doesn't mean that Philemon has to overlook the wrong that's done to him. I think some of us get that idea that that's what forgiveness is all about. God doesn't call us just to blind tolerance. The wrong has to be dealt with. What he's saying is, yeah, but the way you deal with it is through forgiveness. That's the appropriate way. Forgiving the wrong. Look at verses 18 to 20. He says, and if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, just charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you, and then he mentions it, (laughs) that you owe me even your own self. Doesn't that remind you of your mom? I'm not going to tell you all that we have sacrificed for you over and over again and again. You're mentioning it right now. You're saying that. I'm not saying it. I'm just telling you. Your father and I have worked very hard, and you don't appreciate. You're mentioning it again. Paul says, I'm not going to say anything about the fact that, uh, oh, yeah, I saved your life. Oh, yeah, there's that. And you owe me even your own self. Yes, brother, may I have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Refresh my heart. Show me benefit. And again, there's that play on words because Onesimus in the noun form means benefit. And he, he uses that over and over all throughout this letter. Refresh my heart. It's this rhetorical strategy to remind Philemon of the depths of which he has come. Hey, Phil, don't forget who you are. I know you're all successful now, and you're master of the house, and you've got it going on, and everybody calls you sir, everybody answers to you, you sign the paychecks, but the very thing that brought you to this place was the grace of God. And I don't think Paul's trying to be manipulative or, you know, petty. I don't, I don't think he's trying to, de- it would just be so inconsistent with who he is and, and really the character of this whole letter. I think what Paul's doing is just reminding Philemon of the basis of their relationship. Phil, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget your roots. I've got pictures. Like Onesimus, Philemon was brought to faith through Paul's ministry. Paul suddenly and skillfully converts Philemon from a creditor to a debtor. He just reminds him, uh, you could never pay back what you owe. 
And in the same way that I led you to Christ, not long ago, I led Onesimus to Christ. You're the same. And when it comes to forgiveness, we probably agree that it's a beautiful idea. (laughs) It's a great theory. I mean, I love talking about it until I have to do it. It's just so hard to practice, isn't it? In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus links our own need for forgiveness with our willingness to forgive others. And he says this in the strongest of language. And I don't know how you're going to deal with this. I don't know, I don't know where you want to go with it. But when Jesus said, when he says, if you don't forgive others, I'm not going to forgive you. What do you think that means? You don't like that. I don't like, I don't, that's, that's pretty big. I don't think it means that God's forgiveness is dependent on our having forgiven someone else first. But we should never expect to receive what we're unwilling to give. Forgiving those who have wounded us. And I know, and I don't say this lightly. I don't just throw it out there like, I know you've been hurt. And inside, maybe you, you just feel that feeling like, Dan, you have no idea how I've been hurt. The abuse that I've suffered. And for you to call me out, how dare you? You have no idea how deep this is, how tangled it is. And you want me to just flip a switch and go, I forgive you. And I really mean that. And I really feel it. It's just not that easy. I understand it's tough. Here's a quote that I really like from Henry Nguyen. It says this, forgiveness from the heart is difficult. I've often said, I forgive you. But even as I said the words, my heart remained angry and resentful. I still wanted to hear the story that tells me I was right after all. I still wanted to hear apologies and excuses. I still wanted the satisfaction of receiving some praise in return, even if it's just the praise of being so forgiving. There's that thing in us. But God's forgiveness is unconditional. Comes from the heart, doesn't demand anything for itself. Uh, It's just completely empty of self-seeking. It's just this divine forgiveness, and he's calling on me to practice that in my daily life. And it calls me to keep stepping over all my arguments of why I was right. All my arguments that say forgiveness is not smart. This is not healthy. It's not even practical. It challenges me to step over my need for gratitude and compliments. And it demands that I step over that wounded part of my heart that feels hurt and wronged. And now I'm giving up the last shred of control that I have over the situation or that person. I mean, can't I just put a few conditions between me and the one that I'm asked to forgive? God says, not really. I think that's why we tend to shun forgiveness because it appears just too hard, too costly. It's just too expensive to do it. And for Philemon, 
accepting Onesimus might cost him his reputation. I mean, what, what, how's this going to be when it gets out? Especially among the other slaves. Did you hear about Onesimus? Yeah. What happened to him? What'd they do? Nothing. What? I mean, he stole all that stuff and he ran away. Yeah, and he came back. Philip just he forgave him. He didn't do anything. I mean, what's that going to do? How's he going to stay in control? He's been victimized. I mean, doesn't he have a right to do that? I mean, this kind of forgiveness crosses the grain of everything in society. Society, Everything we accept as normal. And well, yeah, of course, it should be this, this way and that way. Check this out. Forgiveness is the only way to break the cycle of oppression. Some of you, if you don't forgive your mama and your daddy, they will pass away and you will continue to nurture that bitterness. It's going to come out in your life and it's going to come out and leak into the lives of your children. And that's true whether it's an old lost love or whether it's an old boss or an employee or the only way to appropriately deal with that hurt and that thing you've carried in you maybe for a long time, maybe for years is forgiveness. And we've talked before what forgiveness really is. It's not giving permission. It's not throwing down any boundaries that you have in your life that are safe and sensible, you're simply telling another person, you don't owe me anything anymore. The debt's gone. You know, when I first read this, I thought, why does Onesimus, why does he need forgiveness? I mean, he tried to escape from this dark oppression of slavery, and he needs to be forgiven. I mean, wasn't he really the one victimized after all, not Philemon? And I think it's this weird thing in life that we're all victims and we're all perpetrators, right? I mean, today you may be on this side of an issue and tomorrow you're on that side. I think he was like that. We're caught in this web of sin. And any oppressive system makes it impossible for people to be pure-hearted and to avoid hurting others because it's hurt people who hurt people. That's where it comes from. And we prefer to regard ourselves as the ones being wronged. Well, I was just right in that, and you know me, how holy I am, how spiritual I am, and how I could never hurt another human being. You know, and you, you start going back through, and the Holy Spirit you know, illuminates your memory, and you go, oh yeah, well, there was that time. I, yeah, I messed up on that. Or I did. We're all on both sides of it. In the context of our Christian theology, both Philemon and Onesimus are sinners. And so are we. And we can assume, I think because Onesimus returns, that he has forgiven Philemon. I think when he was converted, uh, as he's tending to Paul, and Paul's in prison, and he understands the crucified life, and he understands what forgiveness is about, and he comes to this place where he says, I forgive him. You know what? I'm going to go home, and I'm going to make this right. Yeah, I was a slave, and, and I took some things, but you know, he wasn't so great. At, but that's all done. 
And I release him from that. Can you imagine every step towards home, what that must have felt like? Before there can be restoration in a relationship, both must repent and forgive the wrongs done by the other. That's the way that needs to work. You must forgive. There is no other way. If forgiveness is going to happen, we must first honestly face the sin, how it affected us, and then do we deliberately choose to release to God the debt that's due us. And the only way that happens is when we're willing to look at the cross. Without the cross, there's no forgiveness. When Jesus went to Calvary, he provided the way for us. I mean, he was abandoned by his closest friends. Some of you know how that feels. He was denied by one of his best friends, Peter, three times. I don't even know the guy. He was scoffed at. He was abused. He was spit on. He was physically tortured. He was utterly humiliated in one of the most violent ways to put someone to death possible, crucifixion. And Jesus bore the burdens of of all that suffering with perfect integrity. He didn't blame or snivel or whine. But in the midst of this pain, this is so amazing to me because he did something completely extraordinary. He granted forgiveness at the moment of humanity's deepest cruelty. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So just forgive them. They don't get it. They don't understand. They don't even know it. Please, just forgive them. Forgive them for this. Jesus saw the people around him who were torturing him and it just spiritually sick sinners like us and those who injure us. And until we can see, you know, how great our own sin is and just the heartache and the pain that it's brought to, to, to God himself and to others, we'll never know. You're never going to get how much it really cost Jesus to forgive us. Understanding the cost of our own forgiveness gives me a little more courage you know, and the motivation and the grace to forgive other people in my life. Because as wrongly as I can say, I've been, you know, I've been mistreated, and you know what this one guy did to me, and well, it just really hurt. Nobody's ever treated me like that. Nobody's ever done that. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite writers, and uh, here's what he said. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has excused the inexcusable in you. Will Philemon remember that, hey, you're just another guy who needs forgiveness? You've been forgiven by God. Will he accept, you know, God's forgiveness of Onesimus? And will he accept this slave back, not as a slave anymore, but as a brother, as a friend? I think, it, I think he did, and I think their relationship changed forever. 
When I was in college, um, I read the story of Corey Ten Boone. It's just profound to me. I've never forgotten and I've never gotten over this remarkable woman uh, and all the adventures that she lived through. She watched in horror in a Nazi uh, prison camp as the jailers brutalized her sister Betsy, and they were close. And in this processing center at Ravensbrück, uh, many years later, you know, after the, the war had ended, Corrie ten Boone is speaking uh, in Munich at a worship service, and one of the jailers who was in that place approached her. After the message, when people were coming up to greet her, and she noticed him, and she knew who it was, and he comes up and he puts his hand out. And she writes that he was the first of our jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The humiliation, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often on the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. And I was going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. And I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathe a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. Our part is to yield our injuries unto Christ's care. You know, in this book, something that's curious to me, it's that Paul never uses the word forgiveness one time in the entire text. He never says the word. He never, he never even, but we know that's, that's what he's encouraging Philemon to do. Let me just tell you this last thing that is the most difficult thing that Paul asked Philemon to do, and that is to go beyond forgiveness and to bestow a blessing upon Onesimus. That is the grand finale. That's the sure sign that forgiveness had really happened. Let me read verse 21 and 22. Uh, This is so amazing. He says, Since I am confident of your obedience, I'm writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. But we, meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me as I hope that through your prayers I'll be restored to you. He says, don't forget about me. Get a room ready because if I ever get out of this jail, I'm, I'm coming to see you. I want to see you guys. When we've been wounded, the, the, I think the cry of our hearts is, 
you're kidding. You want me to forgive her and then do this? Uh, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Forgiveness took every ounce of energy and faith and strength and, and everything I believed about you and every, every little piece of love that I have. And now you want me to go to beyond that and bless this person? Yeah. There's a cool story that Thomas Edison actually took the youth group to his house one time along, you know, many years ago. He understood this principle, and it took, uh, he said it took hundreds of hours for, for he and his staff to manufacture a single incandescent light bulb. And one day after finishing this bulb, uh, and he made it, he handed it to this young errand boy, and he said, take it to the testing room upstairs. And the little boy turned, and as he started up the stairs, he stumbled and he fell. And the bulb, can you just see that in slow motion? The bulb hits you know, the steps and just shatters. And instead of lecturing the boy, Edison, I think, powerfully demonstrated the reality of forgiveness. He reassured him, everything's okay. The staff and I will work on another bulb. They did. It took several days later before they finished it. And when he got done, he turned to the same boy And he handed him the new bulb, and he said, please, would you take this up to the testing room? Can you imagine how that boy felt? He knew he didn't deserve to be trusted with that. Yet here it is. And it was being offered as though nothing had ever happened. Nothing could have restored that boy's confidence and his sense that he's a part of this team more clearly, more quickly than, than what Edison did. To bless those who have hurt us, deprived of, of something, in some way handicapped us, is the most extraordinary work that any of us will ever do. I told Kathy, I said, you know, I, story I told last week about the guy that I forgave for stealing all those car parts. I've decided that I deserve a medal for that. And I'm going to wear this every day as a reminder how good I really am. What a forgiving person I am. And you know some of those pastors who wear huge crosses on the outside of their suits? I'm going to wear my medal of forgiveness because it is the biggest thing I've ever done. It will be the most extraordinary and the biggest thing that you'll ever do is to forgive, genuinely forgive another person from your heart and then to bless them because you won't get a medal for it. There won't be crowds who are cheering you as you cross the finish line. Maybe nobody will know except you and that person. But God sees that. And maybe there's nothing more powerful we do as followers of Jesus than when we forgive. There's this thing I love at the end of the story. Um, You know, our, our... this letter is, is in the canon. It, it, it's in our Bible. It's, it's one of our holy books. 
uh, and it's, it's based on historical evidence. And then some things happened after this was written that are not in the Bible. Years later, Philemon returned Onesimus to Paul in Rome. And I believe that he matured into a great man of God. In fact, 50 years after this book, after this letter and this incident that happened with all the characters we've talked about, when the Christian martyr Ignatius was being transported from Antioch to Rome to be executed, he wrote letters to a number of churches. One of those churches was one of the most amazing, spirit-filled, powerful evangelistic churches in the world. It was the church in Ephesus. And he praised a certain bishop in Ephesus named Onesimus. In the letter, he even used the same puns and the play on words that Paul had used with Onesimus' name. It appears very likely that Onesimus, the runaway slave, had ultimately become this great bishop, one of the best pastors, one of the best churches that we've ever had. I mean, it could be just a coincidence, but I'm convinced that the power of forgiveness sets people free and it restores lives in a way that nothing else can. There is power in your forgiveness and in your blessing. This is forgiveness. This is reconciliation. It begins by rising above the situation, looking beyond that face, that person, and simply choosing to see the other not as a foe, not as an enemy, but as a friend. And simply, like a fellow soldier who longs just to make it home safely, I understand you've got junk, I've got junk. I'm choosing to forgive you and to bless you. Okay, here's the moment that we've been coming up to. What about you? What are you going to do with this? Sing a song, go eat lunch, critique the message, the music, come back tonight for the, um, you know, goodbye thing for Daniel, move on through your life. You can do that. That's one of your options. Or you can take the next step. Is there someone in your life that God's calling you to give forgiveness? Their face, their name may be in your mind right now. Maybe a whole list. (laughs) Say, Dan, could could you extend this because this is going to take a minute. (laughs) But probably there's one or two people that that you feel like the Holy Spirit's going to uh, speak to you about. I don't know. I'm not going to be legalistic about this. I'm just a pastor. I'm just your friend. I'm not the Pope. I'm not going to tell you, here's what you got to do. But I am going to strongly encourage you that if you want to be free, if you don't want to continue to live in the prison that you have created, and if you want to set that person free, 
and extend the grace that God has given you, you need to forgive them. And I don't know how that's going to start. You, you may need some more time to pray, uh, to think through the conversation in your head, then I'm going to say this, and they'll probably say this or this, then I'll say this. I, I, don't, I don't know. You may need to write a letter, make a phone call. You may need to get in your car and drive someplace and knock on a door like Onesimus did. All I'm going to ask you to do is to be obedient and to take the next step. Whatever the next step is for you, do that and release it to God. Whatever happens after that is, is it's not up to you anymore. Just get back in your car and drive home. (laughs) You sent the letter. You made the call. Just hang up. They don't get it. That's okay. You may be on the other side of this. You may say, Dan, as best I know in my heart, I I really have released everybody in my life from debt. I I don't think there's anybody unforgiven. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit. You just search me and you tell me. And I I, honestly, before the Lord, I, I will do it. You may feel like there's kind of a purity there. But on the other side, say, Dan, but I, I, I need to be forgiven. Or I need to extend forgiveness. I need, I need to seek someone out and to say, hey, maybe you've forgotten about this, but I haven't. And would you forgive me? There's nothing more humiliating, but there's nothing more powerful can set you free than just being forgiven. I sought someone's forgiveness, and I just said, here's what I did. Here's the offense that I did. I didn't elaborate. I didn't go on about it. And I said, you know, I have repented of that. I'm not going to do that ever to you or anybody else again. I'm just so sorry. Will you forgive me? And they're like, no. <laughs> uh, Maybe you don't get this because you're messing up my whole story. Uh, you're, you know, you forgive and I walk away and we both go on to become something great and, and cool and great thing, you know. No, I just really, you see, that part is not your responsibility. Whatever happens next, you've done what the Holy Spirit's called you out to do. And there will be blessing. There will be freedom. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. So that's what this moment is about. You might, not can, do, you might can do it in this room. I mean, it may be awkward, but uh, if somebody comes up to me, <laughs> excuse us, yeah, we gotta, and we start duking it out. Uh, I don't know, but I know it may be initiated over the next few minutes as you make this commitment. Here's what I'm going to do next. God, I'm going to be obedient. Would you stand and let's start praying through that. Uh, and you decide over the next few minutes and then begin to act on it. Father, if this stays in this room and we don't do anything with this series and this little book that you gave us, if we don't forgive, if we don't seek forgiveness, then really, what what is Christianity about? What is our faith about? I think that deletes a lot of our rights to talk about the other blessings and, and the attributes and characteristics of a Christian lifestyle. Let it begin here. Let it begin with us. Let it begin right now. Father, I pray that you'd set us free. I pray that grace would explode in this community because we stepped up and acted as a Paul or an Onesimus or as a Philemon. And you blessed. 
through forgiveness in a way that nothing else can initiate. We trust you with it and we give you this moment. Speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit. You're absolutely free. You have all the liberty you need to show us what to do next.